Hi, my name is Jude. Uh, I'm from 530 Macquarie Park, and I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, which is on page 263. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites... Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in, and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. As we have heard with our own ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. 
and your Lord and you Lord have become their God. And now Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Well, I remember the evening. I was a young boy, and my mum and dad told me that this meeting would be important for my future high schooling. I knew it was important because we met the man in the formal living room. I don't know if anyone had one of those rooms where you never went and no one used, but we went in there that night and a man that I didn't know came and spoke to my parents about things I didn't understand. Uh, At the end, they gave me a certificate with my name on it and the man said, son, your parents have made a great decision about your future. I was a little bit confused by it all, uh, but I started going to school after that, telling my friends that I'd been given a scholarship to high school because I thought that's what was going on. Uh, Maybe as you sat and listened to God talk to David there, you recognised an important conversation was going on. Maybe you've heard that 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most significant promises made by God in the Bible, a high point in God's revelation in the Old Testament. Maybe you recognise something important for your future was said there, but, but it's hard to know exactly what it was. Well, for me, in the formal living room that night, all that was happening was my parents were entering an education scheme where they saved money so I could go to high school. For you and me, as we sat on the sidelines of that conversation between God and David, what was taking place there was a promise of God to set up a kingdom that would endure forever, an unconditional promise to remain faithful in love to his people, to his king, to his people, and his people after them, ultimately to you and to me. He was promising us a king who would bless us with an eternal, everlasting dynasty. Friends, 2 Samuel 7 is a really significant passage in our Bibles. And so tonight, as we look at it together, I hope and pray that we're going to see the character of God. What a gracious and kind God he is, who loves not just to show us goodness, but to heap goodness on us and to keep it coming and coming. I hope we can believe in his big promises and trust that he is a God who makes and keeps big promises and that we'll learn to receive all his promises through prayer. So we want to see God's amazing grace, we want to believe God's amazing promises, and we want to receive them all through prayer. So open up 2 Samuel 7 with you in the Bible. We're going to be looking at different parts of these promises of God to David 
It's on page 263. And we're going to start by thinking about how do we see God's amazing grace in these passages. Well, David woke up one Israelite morning and he popped on his royal dressing gown, slipped on his royal slippers, made himself a cup of royal tea and sat down in his royal palace. He looked at his royal itinerary and there wasn't much on that day because God had given him rest from all of his enemies. It was a time of peace unlike any other before it in his life. So there was an occasion for some clear sky thinking for David. He was going to have some extra time with his God in, in the words. He gets out the law and he begins reading and then he turns towards God's presence in prayer. He turns towards the Ark of the Covenant. And as he's talking to his God, a thought dawns on him. Why am I in this beautiful cedar palace when my God is in a small tent? Something's wrong here. And then a germ of an idea comes in his mind, an idea that would consume actually most of the rest of his life. David wanted to build a house for God. It was time for David to do something really special for his God. He had great plans of what he wanted to do. So he called in Nathan. It's the first time we meet Nathan the prophet. He was um, like a royal chaplain. He called in Nathan and suggested to him his plans. Of course, it made perfect sense. What a great idea, said Nathan. Everything you've done, God has blessed. Surely God will bless this good intention to build him a house. It made perfect sense. It was a reasonable thing to do. It was a sensible thing to do. But though, God, though David had something big he wanted to do for God, God had something even bigger he wanted to do for David. So that night, as Nathan slept, God sent this revelation, this promise. It's a reminder that, that when God speaks, that triumphs, <clears throat> that, that, that sits over our sensibilities, what makes sense to us, that God's revelation trumps our reason. It's also a reminder that these must be words that come from God. Because as one commentator uh, joked, he said, no minister in the history of the world would ever say no to a rich man who wanted to build a church for him. So this has to have come from God, this idea. Because as Nathan slept, God said to Nathan, though David wants to build me a house, I want to build him something even better. I want to build him a dynasty. So let's have a look at that, at that great promise that God made to him. God said he had bigger plans. He said, I'm not the kind of God who wants to take rest until I've given rest for my people. Think about the last 300 years, David, verse 6. I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. This is the great God who dwells in a tent, the God who wants to be with his people. He's your God. He wants to be with you. As he was with Israel, they were intense, he was intense. They were on the move, he was on the move. They were in pain, he was hurting. Our God is a God who has always wanted to be with his people, humbling himself, lowering himself to, to be with them where they're at, in their mess, in their pain, 
walking with them. It wasn't a surprise then that eventually in the course of time, God came to be with us in his son, Jesus, the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. What was surprising is that he wasn't just with us, but he became one of us. We're going to get more of that later. God said, I've never asked any of my leaders, David, to build me a house because I'm a God who likes to house my people before I get a house. I have a brother, uh, James, who is a really great camper. He's got all the right tents. He's got the lightweight backpack tent. He's got the big tent for the family. He's got the tent you can hang off the side of a cliff, all the tents, tent for every occasion. So when I go camping with him, I naturally underfunction. He's so good at it, I sort of stand there with my pegs and poles and tent flies and just sort of not really knowing what to do. So James comes and he sets up my tent and he sets up everyone else's tent. And when your tent's set up, it's really hard not to start making yourself comfortable and getting yourself at home. So I get in and lay out my mat, put out my sleeping bag, poke your head out the tent and there's James setting up his tent in the dark. And in a similar way, God is a God who will not rest until he's given rest for his people, who doesn't want a house until he's housed his people. He's a God who wants to be with us, but more than just be with us, he wants to put our needs first. What a great God we worship. God's amazing grace is seen not just in the way that he's with us, but also where he's taken us from to where he's taken us to. God reminds David of this as he says, David, look at your past. Verse 8, have a look with me. It says, David, I took you from the pasture. You were just a shepherd boy. You were the youngest of eight brothers, just out minding the sheep. Now I've set you as a shepherd over my people. David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. You have never walked alone, David. Never been abandoned. David would love that song, but that was true of David's life. God was with him everywhere. With him when he was hiding in caves. With him when he was on the run from Saul. With him when he was in foreign countries. With him when he was in Israel. With him when he fought battles. With him on his rise to the kingdom. With him to give him peace. And that's the next grace that God had shown him. God wanted to give him Peace, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. God just showered grace upon grace upon grace to David. And that's what our God is like. He just loves to keep giving more grace. First time I ever went to a 10-course degustation meal, I didn't know what degustation meals were. So I got pretty excited in the first few courses. I got into the rich food and was complimenting the waiter and they kept coming and coming and I was almost sick at the end because there was just so much goodness. And that's what our God is like. He just wants to keep coming towards you with his grace, with his goodness, with his love. He is a God who wants to keep lavishing such goodness on us. David says, wow, God. He responds, verse, 19, verse 18, who am I? Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you've brought me this far? But then God has more grace. Verse 19, as if that weren't enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant 
And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. Quite literally, it says there, is for the human race or for the destiny of humanity. How amazing that this young shepherd boy, who was a nobody, has been made a king. But more than that, God is going to sweep this boy, this shepherd boy, now king, up in his saving purposes for the whole world. God has still more grace. He's going to bless the whole of humanity through David and his family. How remarkable. You know, one of the clearest places to see God's grace is to look back on your past, to look back at who you once were and who you now are. So for me, I became a Christian at the age of 15, and many of my friends haven't and still aren't. And I look at their lives and the path that they have walked down, and I can say, thank you, God. Wow, thank you, God, for saving me from that direction, from that path. Maybe for you, it's the spiritual blessings. Maybe you look back and you think, I was a nobody, but I've been made a somebody in the house of God. I've been made a child of God. Or I was pursuing selfish gain. Now I'm pursuing a life of serving others. I was living in destructive sin. Now I've been set free from sin to live a life of goodness and godliness that is good for me, good for those around me. Friends, God's amazing grace is seen as you look back on your past and look at who you once were and who you now are. It's a great activity to do. Think about maybe where would I have been if God hadn't met me with his amazing grace? We see God's grace in our past, but we also see it in his amazing promises. That's our second point. God's amazing promises, believing God's amazing promises. God goes on from what he's done for David in the past to what he will do in the future. And we pick it up there halfway through verse 9 with the word now. Now, says God, I will make your name great. And great he is indeed, isn't he? David is one of the most famous kings who've ever lived. One of the best statues in all the world is Michelangelo's David. He's a big deal. He's, he's huge in history. Then God says, I'll provide a place for my people, a place for Israel, and plant them in a land that is their own. This is my good intention to plant firmly and securely my people in this place. Israel had been like a pot, a, a plant, sorry, in a plastic garden pot, getting carried around from place to place. Finally, God said, I'm going to take them out of that plastic and plant them in the soil where their roots can go deep, where they can establish themselves, where they can flourish, blossom and bud and become the great blessing that, they, that I planned for them to be. He promises them a permanent place. And then he promises them peace. He said, David, I'm going to give my people peace where they'll no longer be disturbed. Wicked people won't oppress them anymore as they did from the beginning, I will give you rest, verse 11 ends, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Imagine, imagine the power of a declaration of peace for a Ukrainian person living in Ukraine at the moment. Imagine how much peace would mean to them. That is, that is how significant this offer of peace was to God's people Israel. They had lived a war-torn past. Finally, God was giving them peace. What a blessing. What a promise. 
But then God says, I've got one big one. I've got one big, great last promise. And, and it's, like, it's like when a child is celebrating their birthday and they're, they're opening up all their presents thinking, wow, it's been a great birthday, got all these cool things. And then dad says to them, but there's one more, son. And he goes out into the other room and he brings in the biggest box the kid has ever seen. That, that's what God is doing here with his final promise. And he's so excited about it. He starts speaking about it in the third person. He says, the Lord, verse 11, the Lord himself has promised you, David, that he will establish a house for you. Not a physical building, but an enduring dynasty. David was promised an everlasting dynasty for his family to rule over God's people. It's, it's a remarkable promise, and it's remarkable for three significant reasons. Because firstly, death won't annul it, sin won't destroy it, and time won't exhaust it. So let's have a look at how he explains that to him in verse 12. He says, David, when your days are over, you rest with your ancestors. I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And we, as those who've gone on and read the Bible, know that that son was Solomon, David's great son Solomon, whom he surprisingly had with Bathsheba. But Dave, uh, Solomon was a great king. He was wise. He was profoundly rich. He was living in a great time of peace, and he made for David, he made for God this remarkable building, this temple for God that was the splendour of all of Israel. So Solomon was that one who made that temple. Secondly, God says, David, this enduring promise, will sin won't defeat it because I'm going to have a kind of relationship with your offspring that's different to that that I've had with others. I'm going to take them to myself and make them my own. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. He says, I will bring him so close that he will be to me a son. Though I will punish him when he does wrong, I will never disown him because he is my child. Unlike Saul before him, who broke the covenant and was broken away from God, David's descendants would be sons of the Most High God. And sure enough, that's exactly who Solomon was. Yet Solomon's story ends so sadly. He did build that great temple for God, but he began to disobey and turn his heart against God. And he started taking many wives, wives from foreign nations, who turned his heart after their gods. And so Solomon, who was famous for building this great temple in, in Jerusalem, also became one who infamously built places of worship for foreign gods in Jerusalem as well. It was devastating. It was so disappointing that the Old Testament says, look beyond Solomon. There's got to be a better son that these promises will come true in. So lastly, time will not exhaust this enduring promise that God made to David. Solomon's son after him was Rehoboam. And if Solomon was a disappointment, Rehoboam was a dropkick. He, he took things far, far south. 
He turned Israel against themselves. They divided up. The kingdom split. North Israel, South Judah split from one another. And as you go on, you can read about David's descendants one after the other in the books of 1 and 2 Kings. In my Bible, as I read through 1 and 2 Kings, I like to write down how long each of the kings ruled for, so 39 years, 42 years, and then what God says about them, whether they did good or evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's a depressing read. It's just evil king after evil king. And it's so, so sad to see the way that this line of David descended further and further from God. But God had made this promise to the family line of David. Verse 16, he said, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. I was chatting to uh, James Galea, who's one of the other pastors here at church, about this passage this week. And I asked him, why do you think it is that this forever promise is a real forever promise, but it seems like God makes other forever promises that don't seem to be forever promises? And he pointed out to me, well, the difference in the other forever promises is that God said he would always have his people in the land if they kept his covenant. God said he would forever dwell in the temple if his people loved him with all their heart. But this is the first unconditional promise since God promised to Abraham to bless the world through his descendants. Here is another unconditional promise of love from God to his people, and it came through this man David. Now God is a God who would never take away his love from the descendants of David, all of God's Forever promises in the Old Testament come through in this one, that God will be committed to this family line. But David's family line, uh, well, they go on from lackluster king to lackluster king, but God's promise remains. And through disappointment and uh, disconnection with God, God's people get kicked out of the land, they come back to the land. There's 400 years where it just feels like There's no word from God, no hope from God. Yet God remained true to his promises. Because one day uh, an angel appeared to a young woman who was betrothed to be married to a young man in the family line of David. And the angel came and announced these words to Mary. They're up on the screen. Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father Jacob, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That is, after all those years of disappointment, 1,000 years after making this promise to David, great David's greater son, Jesus, was the fulfilment and the hope of all the ages. Jesus was the one who was the perfect son of God, not just another son in the line of David, but the son of God. Jesus was the king who remained faithful to his God throughout the course of his life, faithful in all circumstances under all tests and all trials. Jesus was the one who would be beaten with rods and and disciplined, but not for his own sin, but for your sin and for mine. 
Jesus took our wrongdoings upon himself so that we could have our sins forgiven, our death died, and we could be brought close to God. Jesus is the one who established the temple, not just another stone temple, because Solomon's temple, it got torn down and then rebuilt and then got torn down again and then rebuilt and then torn down again and remained a ruin since AD 72. But Jesus came to build a temple of people, the church by which God would dwell in the lives of all his people through the Holy Spirit. You are that temple. You are the place for God to dwell now. And God dwells with you in power enduringly. His presence is with us. He's with us here. He's with you when you're out on your day-to-day, week-by-week life. And Jesus is the one who establishes God's enduring kingdom, his forever kingdom. Because what happened to Jesus? He got killed and put in a grave, but death couldn't hold him. He rose up out of that grave. Death lost its grip. And the reign of death was ended in Jesus' resurrection. He, our king, has now risen. And what happens to the king happens to his followers. We've hitched our cart to his. We are his people and he rules forever. And if we trust and believe in him, then we are part of his eternal kingdom as well. Jesus is the great hope of the ages. He is the great fulfilment of these wonderful promises to David. David was overwhelmed. David David received these promises and he went into the tabernacle and he just said, wow, God, wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your grace, your amazing grace in my life. And please, 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 God, may these promises that you've prayed, may, may they come true. And so just to close and briefly, our final point, let's be people who receive God's promises and his grace through prayer. Have you ever heard the story of uh, Thelma Howard? Thelma Howard was a housekeeper. She worked for a very wealthy family for over 30 years. She had a very modest wage and lived a very humble life. Uh, But every year, the family that she worked for would give her shares in the family business. Thelma would put those shares aside and continue to live her humble life, her modest existence. Until when she died, her family discovered to their surprise just how wealthy Thelma had become. For the family that she'd been working for was the family of Mr Walt Disney. And the shares she'd been getting had just been accumulating more and more in her account and she hadn't cashed them in. Unlike Thelma... David sees the amazing grace and incredible promises of God. Real good. And he runs to the tabernacle and he says, God, I want them all. I I, I want them all. Please, may I lay claim to your grace. May you give me more grace. May I have your promises. Can they come true in my life? And I read a lovely line this week that said, prayer pleads the promises of God. If the promises of God are the shares in the family business, then prayer is the way we take them to the bank and cash them in. It's the way we go to God and say, God, I want your promises in my life. In Jesus, brothers and sisters, God has showered abundant grace on us. Grace in the past, but still more grace to be with us, 
to work in us, to, to give us a bright, a bright hope and an eternal future. And in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes in him. He is the king and we are with him. And so what happens to the king? He is raised up, highly exalted. He will come back to rule and guide and govern the earth. What happens to the king happens to his people. Lay claim to that promise. Take up your life and bind it to his. And the way we do that is just in prayer. So why don't we close now? We've, we've heard of this great conversation. We've seen God's amazing grace, believed his amazing promises. Let's come to him in prayer and lay claim to those in our life. Let's close in prayer. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. We thank you that you are a God who loves to give more and more grace. And so we pause now for a moment of reflection and gratitude for all the grace you have shown us in our lives. Lord, we thank you for past grace and we anticipate future grace in your promises that you've given to us, that you want to bless us, you want to give us an eternal hope and an everlasting future. And all those promises come true in your son, Jesus Christ, and so we declare to you in prayer, we believe in him, we trust in him, and we follow him with our lives so that we ourselves might be hitched up in your saving purposes in our world. That we might, like David, become part of your great purposes to bless the world and to do great things and to call people to yourself. It's in the name of our King, King Jesus, that we pray and lay claim to your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray.